I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can keep more of what you have. Forget what you make. Right now, we're trying to hold on to every dollar. And today is the first day people are starting to see the stimulus money come in their pockets. And industry by industry, situation by situation, the money that the feds are promising is piece by piece starting to flow. Everything except the aid specifically to small businesses. The payroll protection program is still in a great deal of trouble. And the idle loans generally geared towards small businesses, that's been a disastrous rollout. But bigger industries are getting the financial support they need. And it seems to be that the federal government is more adept at getting money to big players than it is to half of the employment in the United States, which is smaller businesses. So big, big, big relief packages to Wall Street, to various parts of the financial plumbing of the country, the Federal Reserve, unleashing massive amounts of money to support uh, big industries in the United States. And the U.S. Treasury Department reached a deal yesterday to give financial assistance specifically to the nation's airlines. They reached what's referred to as a deal in principle, an agreement in principle, with allocations to each of the nation's major airlines, the nine of them, getting money from the Treasury in two parts, very large grants that will not have to be paid back. And the grant total is somewhere around $25 billion going to these nine companies. There's a tenth really tiny one part of this. And then there will be loans made as well to these companies and the loans will be quite large. Here's an example. American Airlines is getting $4 billion in grants, $1.7 in loans. These are billions. And then another nearly $5 billion for a separate loan from the Treasury Department. American Airlines went into the coronavirus bust with the greatest financial difficulties of any of the major airlines. And so they are trying to get more money, essentially, than any other airline. And each airline has its own ratio of what it's getting in terms of just cash grants. And the rest is in loans. So Southwest Airlines, which is the nation's largest domestic airline, is getting $2.3 billion in grants, a billion dollars in loans. And so it just varies with each airline what the exact ratios are they're getting. But Delta and American are getting $7 billion, United $6.5 billion, Southwest in total likely $4 billion, JetBlue in Alaska getting a billion bucks. So the big industries getting money much quicker and much easier than smaller ones. And this is a problem because 
when you think about where economic growth comes from, it comes from small, hungry startups. It comes from individuals who've got the guts to go start their own businesses. And this is where the relief efforts of the federal government have failed. One of the things that's come out in the last few days is that congressional intent with the SBA loan programs has been short-circuited by regulations that have been issued by federal agencies that have made the program much more difficult to operate. And that's why one of the reasons the banks have been afraid to actually fund the loans because that are going to small businesses because they've been worried about being cited for making loans to thieves, to con artists, and the Fed's coming back to capture that money from the banks. There's also a question about how the actual loan forgiveness cycle of the relief to small business is going to operate. So there needs to be a special emphasis before we get to how much more money needs to be put towards helping out small businesses, towards clarifying the rules and procedures so that it's not just a wasted exercise of small businesses trying to apply for these loans, going through the headache of that and the frustration, then being told they're approved and thinking, yes, relief is here, and then the loan's not funding. Those three processes need to be fixed pronto because there are a lot of small businesses that went into this with very, very tiny reserves, and they will fail before the relief is made available, and that would be absolutely terrible for the future of employment in the United States since small businesses, again, employ roughly half of all people in the U.S., and for the overall economy if we don't get this right. You know, I know it's natural for people in the Congress and in the bureaucracy to take care of the big shots they hang out with and to take care of big companies, big industries. But it is small businesses that don't have a voice in Washington that we have to make sure are, in fact, served by the coronavirus relief measures that are there in theory, but so far not really in fact. Uh, what we're doing here on the Clark Howard Show is we're alternating between Kim and Joel asking questions for you that you posted at clark.com ask. And Kim, what you got first? Starting out today with Susan, she says, Hi Clark, my husband and I file a joint tax return and our bank account info is on file with the IRS as we always do direct deposit. We did not receive the relief money on April 15th and we're not sure why. Our adult son got his, so we're confused as to why we didn't get ours. Can you shed some light on this for us? Yeah, not everybody's going to see it all at once. And that's why people thinking they were all getting the money on the 15th, the IRS website crashed. Give it some time to catch its breath, and hopefully your money will be showing up very quickly by direct deposit, but you'll know that by going to the IRS website and seeing 
when they actually are planning to pay you. Kim, did you have a follow-up to that? I think Joel has one, actually. Joel? Yeah, Clark Byron wrote in about the stimulus check as well. He says, I received my economic impact payment, the helicopter money you've been discussing in my bank account today. When they calculated the amount, they used my 2018 return. My oldest daughter was 16 at the time, so I did receive $500 for her as my dependent. However, she's now 18, and I thought we would not be receiving anything for her. So will I be required to pay any portion of it back, or worse, will they potentially use an ACH debit to my account when they discover the error? I've already moved it to my savings account. So the $500, as you know, was not supposed to come to you for your child. And as to whether anybody's ever going to figure that out, I don't know. And I had already looked for this because somebody asked me, what happens if you got money you're not entitled to? There's no procedure that anybody's published on the IRS website or the Treasury Department um, over you know the bigger site on what to do if you get money you weren't supposed to get. Because right now, everybody's focus and emphasis is on getting the money out. And there are going to be people who get the stimulus checks who shouldn't and don't feel comfortable having it. And as soon as there is a clear procedure for that, I'll let you know as to whether this is anything other than an honor system with the $500 that you've received. I'm guessing that's how it's going to play because this is happening in such a quick manner and normal protections for fraud and the rest are not truly in place that I'm guessing that if you want to, you'll likely be able to just hold on to that $500. Kim? Heather says, my job of 20 years is in serious jeopardy. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. One, I know. I was wondering if you could explain the benefits or disadvantages of the following if I end up getting a choice. One, layoff. Two, furlough. Three, early retirement. Here's my story. I'm 53, divorced, have four children. One is grown, two in college, and one is a teen. I recently missed eight months of work due to cancer, but oh, I'm, I'm okay sorry. now, just so you know. Okay. Um, but it makes medical care very important for me and my family. What would you do? So with a, uh, you got a lot going on there. With a, sure with a furlough, the difference between a furlough and layoff usually, although people use the terms meaning different things, but historically what the difference is with a furlough, you maintain benefits like your health coverage, through the period of time with a furlough, with a layoff, you don't. And I'm surprised that your employer would be offering you potentially a choice between the two. Early retirement, unless you have a pension that you could trigger and they would give you extra credits towards it by taking early retirement, that would not be my preferred choice. So of the three you have, based on the information that I have to respond to, I would say that a furlough sounds like the best of the three alternatives right now. Joel? Clark, Monique wrote in, she said, with the CARES Act bringing student loan interest rates to zero and forbearance on monthly payments, if we're in a position to still pay, is it better to pay the loans uh, under the CARES Act or save the money? Given the state of the economy, I want to keep building our emergency fund, but my husband thinks it's best to pay our normal student loan payment with this 0% interest rate to knock down the principal. I'd love your thoughts. So what I would do is I would hold on to the money 
through September, while you're on the payment holiday on most federal student loans, no interest is accruing, nobody's being reported late, there's no attempt to, to get the money by the feds, and so it's perfect on your credit, you don't have to pay the interest, your balance does stay as it is, but think about the wiggle room you have in your life if you hold on to what you would have made in payments over these months as rainy day money to deal with the economic difficulties we're going to have for the next while because of coronavirus, you can always make those payments at the end of the summer, well actually early fall, and make a bulk payment to lower your balance if you don't end up needing the money that you've held on to and kept for an emergency for this rainy day. Kim? Ryan says, about the helicopter money, help me with a choice. I have a five-year car note, and I was planning to pay it off in two years. If I was to apply all the helicopter money to the loan, I could have it paid off in eight months. Is this a good decision? It is as long as your job is secure and you're in okay shape financially, killing off that loan means that you have one less obligation in your life and you're having such a direct effect on the balance. You know, normally I talk about car loans paying themselves out as agreed, but in your case, taking that from a long-term loan to a really, really short-term loan and freeing up from that monthly obligation Sounds like a very good idea to me. Today's Clark Rave puts a spotlight on things people are doing for people who are either first responders or in medical care or both. And we had a question yesterday where someone asked, is it really true that there are special deals on filling up the tank in your vehicle from oil companies? And Producer Kim has checked since yesterday and found that BP and Amico, which are really the same company, are both offering a deal right now where they are offering uh, basically a 50 cent per gallon discount. And there's a special registration. If you go to BP.com, you will see supporting our local heroes. And there's a frequently asked questions section on it and how you register to get a special code that you use when you fill up, and that gets you the instant discount on your gasoline. On this issue of special uh, incentives for healthcare workers, at ClarkDeals.com, we have a new story today on all the deals available either for freebies for healthcare workers or discounts. And as an example, a lot of places are offering free meals or heavily discounted meals, but most of the food is flat out free for healthcare workers. And then in one of the really nice things going on in various parts of the country, there are Airbnb hosts that are offering free stays to healthcare workers and a handful of hotels are offering free stays for healthcare workers. Hertz is doing something just in the uh, New York metro area where healthcare workers can get a free month long rental of a vehicle. And that's 
really it's not truly month long it's through the month of april and hilton and american express have done a deal around the country where medical professionals have access to free rooms they're doing one million free room nights starting next week and the eligible categories of workers doctors nurses emts paramedics and then a mushy thing other frontline medical staff eligible for this it's my pleasure to welcome you here to the clark howard show where it's all about you learning ways to save more and spend less and don't let anybody rip you off our websites clark.com and clarkdeals.com are both working very hard to give you key information to assist you as we deal with job losses hours cut back and difficult decisions about who and what to pay so I want to address something with you right now that I think is very serious and that is a lot of people are neglecting their own health as we deal with the overriding concerns right now with coronavirus so you think about it we're in a medical emergency that last happened 102 years ago in the United States to the degree we are and people are letting their health get them in trouble for pre-existing conditions they're not dealing with and there are things that are very minor I have I know this is crazy at my age but I have a cavity I was scheduled to have it uh, filled tomorrow that's not going to happen because the dental practice is shut down that I go to except for absolute emergencies and I'm having no pain this is a minor cavity it is a non-event really but there are things that we may have going on in our lives that we can't just neglect I mean as we deal with the coronavirus emergency you don't want to end up being a statistic because of something else that you're not taking care of so I want you to know and I've done one already I shared it with you briefly several weeks ago I did a virtual appointment with a doctor with my primary care doctor and and we needed to discuss some test results I came in we needed to do a new med and we were able to do I'd say 90% of what you'd have in a face-to-face and do it as telemedicine uh, telemedicine has been a laggard there's been uh, a wide variety of silly reasons why telemedicine that is so appropriate in so many situations had not taken off even though the technologies existed for a good while a lot had to do with managed care and how health care health insurance reimbursements work and what doctors could get paid for and what they couldn't well now all that is pushed aside and the number of people doing what are being referred to as remote appointments or virtual appointments or telemedicine is skyrocketing but still not anywhere close to the level that actually should be going on now because a lot of people just flat out are ignoring the pre-existing conditions they may have I want to encourage you if you do in fact have 
a doctor already. I mean, if you don't have a doctor, this becomes a little more troublesome. But if you do have a doctor and you feel like the doctor's not in, he or she likely is in offering some method of virtual appointment so that you don't ignore the health issues you have. And it's something that I think will be one of the, um, there will be several good things that will come out of this bad event. And one of them is that I believe that virtual appointments for medicine will be very much part of how we get health care in the future. You know, a lot of people live in parts of the country where ready access to uh, doctors and especially specialists just doesn't exist. And telemedicine is going to be the way that that market will very heavily be served. You think about rural America, where the shortage of primary care doctors and the shortage of specialists is unbelievably bad. And this is a way for that shortage to be addressed. And I hope that we seize this opportunity when the coronavirus emergency ends to be in a new era where people do have access to care they've not had before. But I'm speaking to you right now. If you're sitting there with a pre-existing condition and you didn't go to your last appointment and you haven't been in touch with your doctor, either the primary care or specialist, please check to see if you can have a checkup electronically because it could be something that saves your life. Now, I ask you if you have a question for me, please post it at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel are alternating, asking your questions that you're posting. And guys, I forgot, who's next? It's me. And Peggy had a question. She says, our church is interested in signing up for online giving. There are lots of choices out there. Our congregation averages about 50 members. I'm looking for little to no fees. What do you recommend? So there are not a lot of choices out there. And the ones that are there, it's pretty expensive. So the one that a lot of churches use is Tithely, which you may have have already been familiar with. And here's what it ends up costing. It's 2.9% for each credit card presented plus 30 cents a transaction. So that means the church is basically getting somewhere around 96 cents on each dollar that is donated. Now, if your membership will donate with what's known as uh, ACH, Automated Clearinghouse, where it comes out of the checking account, then the fee to the church drops from roughly 3% to 1%, but again, 30 cents a transaction, which is very, very high. Um, An alternative is give gyve which charges two and a half percent on credit card transactions they don't show that they have an option for ach it would be 2.5 plus 30 cents instead of 2.9 plus 30 cents so either are pretty expensive ways of getting money in the door but with people not attending churches in person church revenues are down 20% year-to-date from the most recent thing I saw. And if you look at just the last couple of weeks, 
church income is down more than 50% likely. And so this is life and death for churches. So 96 cents on the dollar is a lot better than zero cents on the dollar. Kim? Carol says, what is the reason behind the helicopter money being only for children 16 and under? I have 21-year-old triplets who are home from college and will be for the rest of the year. Feeding three 21-year-old males, it's much more expensive than feeding younger kids. Yet they're not eligible for their own helicopter money, and I don't receive a $500 supplement for any of them. I have no clue, and I've seen nowhere where it was explained by members of the House or the Senate why the helicopter money cut off at age 16 did not include aged uh, relatives that you're taking care of in your home as a dependent and did not cover kids once they have their 17th birthday. And I am clueless how that came about and why. Joel? Clark Chris says, are you concerned about inflation, even potential hyperinflation with all of the federal money moves? No, I have no worries in the United States of galloping inflation, which is kind of the mid-grade thing, or hyperinflation. The reality is what we have right now is a lack of demand for goods and services, not an excess of demand for goods and services. The Federal Reserve is able to produce out of thin air essentially trillions of dollars and try to create economic activity out of thin air again, with the idea being that the Federal Reserve can shrink its balance sheet as economic activity comes back to life. This is exactly what happened after the banking scandals of 07, 08, and 09 led to the Great Recession and the housing bust is that the Federal Reserve flooded the economy with money. And then as the economy started its recovery of note starting in 2012, that the Federal Reserve shrunk its balance sheet. And we did not have any inflation issues then. And we won't have that again. What you could have is what's known is inflation in the value of assets, that people speculate too much in certain areas and drive the value of certain holdings too high. If the Federal Reserve waits too long to reduce the amount of money out there, but I don't see uh, more than even, let's say, a 5% chance that we would have even galloping inflation and close to 0% chance that we would have hyperinflation. To give you a sense of what galloping inflation is, that's when the cost, the overall cost of goods and services goes up by 1% or more per month. Kim? Michelle says, I have an Alaskan cruise booked for the end of August. I'm planned on taking my mom and her spouse for her 70th birthday. I paid the deposit back in November. It was $1,500, and the rest of the balance is due mid-May. Due to their age, I don't want to put them in risk in such tight quarters. What should I do? Do I take a loss on the deposit, or do I wait and see how the country looks in August but risk losing the full amount? In the circumstance that you draw, I would 
say, cut your losses, take the hit on the deposits that you have to forfeit, because we don't know. There's too many unknowns what the picture is going to look like. You could potentially buy um, trip cancellation, trip interruption insurance that allows you to cancel for any reason, but you still don't get all your money back with those. You typically get back either 50% or 75%, depending on what policy you would buy. So I would say that this is not the time to take that risk and that you're best off just saying that the money is gone, but the risk of putting people's lives in danger or of losing the total amount of money, you take both of those off the table. Joel? Uh, Clark Anita says, I'm 61 years old and I'd like to retire at 65. I owe $65,000 on my mortgage. During these uncertain times, should I focus most of my savings on paying off my house or continue to build my 401k for retirement? I'm still working full time as a healthcare professional right now, uh, so I wouldn't be able to pay off the house. I would be able to pay off the house in three to five years if I refocus my savings, but that would mean less money in my 401k. So what should I do? So you can't eat your house, and the the reason for that expression is if you pay off your house in full but you don't have enough money to live on, then paying off your house early becomes an empty victory. At the same time, I love for people to be mortgage debt-free in retirement. So I would say that if you can pay off your home within a couple of years of when you retire, let's say by age 67, 68, that's good enough. So if you can see a trajectory where maybe you cut back just a little on what you're putting in the 401k and maybe devote a little more money towards the mortgage with a goal of aiming for age 68 as a target date to be mortgage debt-free. I would prefer that than all or nothing, um, putting everything into paying off the mortgage and really very little or nothing going to your 401k. That would be unbalanced and potentially risky. A combination of those two things would be a safer path for you to follow. Remember, if you have a question for me, please go to clark.com slash ask and post it. And producers, Kim and Joel, asking your questions for you. And Kim, who you got? This is from Lee. Lee says, hello, and thank you so much for the show. It has been endlessly helpful to me. So far, I've lost about $30,000 in canceled gigs. I'm self-employed, and I've been waiting for my bank to send a link to their PPP application. I was tired of waiting And I went ahead and applied with PayPal for the PPP on Monday around 2 p.m. I received the application right away. And on Tuesday morning, I received the loan agreement. But now I'm worried that I'm going to be stuck paying this back with interest, with fees, and somehow I'll be swindled. I just couldn't bring myself to sign the paperwork today. I decided to sleep on it. I'm a sole proprietor, no employees. So 100% of the money would go to payroll technically, my pay. Is it okay to move forward with this loan? Will it really truly be forgiven? Yeah, so you are allowed to pay yourself um, based on no more than an equivalent of $100,000 a year. And you're allowed to pay 
basically $8,000 a month towards yourself. So 16000 would be forgiven. You're allowed to have another four twenty thousand total, as long as seventy five percent goes to payroll. The other four can also be forgiven. But even if you borrow money under the PPP that cannot be forgiven, it is at one percent interest, and you have two years essentially to pay back at that one percent. There are no other fees for doing the loan. This is a very low risk loan opportunity for you to have money to live on moving forward. Joel? Clark John says, I am self-employed and currently not able to work due to the coronavirus. I tried to file an unemployment claim with my state, which is Missouri, but it was denied. Should I appeal the decision based on the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Clause of the CARES Act? To appeal requires filling out some forms and physically mailing or faxing them in. It can't be done online. You've got to be kidding me. Yeah, it's true. So he says, should I just wait for more clarification from my state before I do anything else? So the way several state systems are set up is because they've never provided unemployment compensation to people that are self-employed, independent contractors, and gig workers. The software is written to automatically reject you. And what a number of states are doing is they say, after you're rejected, you then reapply. And it's an odd, odd, odd process. I've not heard any situation like you're describing that you then have to do that appeal, mailing it in. That is insane and not at all the intent of the Congress, which is to get money flowing to people as quickly as possible call your figure out who your member of your state legislature is either your state house or state senator call him or her and get them to work on this because that is crazy stupid the podcast normally would end here but because of the unusual circumstances we're in we have additional content that we recorded earlier today that i'd like you to have access to and this will continue day by day as long as the events warrant. The problems with state unemployment offices, big news story across the state of Florida that it's impossible to reach the state unemployment office. Banks, I had something crazy. I had to talk to a bank because I got locked out of my account for a credit card for my company, the online access. First two times I called, went through the phone tree, and said, you know, someone will be with you on a recorded line, blah, 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 hung up on me both times. And the third time I reached through, made it the next step, and it said, your hold time will be approximately 200 minutes. 200 minutes. That's three hours, 20 minutes on hold approximately. Obviously, obviously, there's a problem with people reaching their mortgage company, their banks, credit card company, lots of complaints about the difficulty reaching cable company customer service right now. So what's going on? A lot of companies rely very heavily on overseas call centers. And a lot of them for America are in India. Well, India has been on really strict lockdowns. The workers have not been able to get call centers. A lot of U.S. call centers are seeing uh, very greatly reduced attendance 
or people working remotely where it just naturally ends up being less efficient. So we've got this enormous demand for the ability to talk with someone right now that's much higher than normal, and then there's not enough people out there. Chats are starting to break down as well. My favorite way to try to solve something is with a chat. I still think that's better than these long, long waits that seem to go nowhere. And here's something else I wanted to talk about today. We are watching massive amounts of streaming right now. In fact, the amount of people who've signed up for Disney with shelter in place and much of the world, Disney signups are so far beyond what they expected, it's shocking. Um, the same time their parks are closed, at least they've got revenue coming in from the Disney streaming product. But everybody's way up. Netflix is way up and has the hottest show in the world right now. People are talking about it worldwide, and that is Tiger King. Kim and Joel, have either of you seen Tiger King? I have. I've watched part of it, but not the whole thing. I've seen all eight episodes. The first time in my life I have ever binge-watched anything because I'm not <laughs> a video person. You know, it's not part of my life, really. It's crazy, right? It's not NFL football. It is not <laughs> NFL football. It's not like anything else. It's the craziest thing I've ever watched. And so it's caused buzz and, and uh, these... People who are characters in it, I mean, they're real-life people, but they're all characters, um, have become big celebrities, at least for a minute, all in their lives. And it just shows how much we're uh, stuck at home and we're turning to video as the source on a TV, a tablet, a computer, a phone, whatever. Um, it's estimated that, depending on whose estimate you see, video consumption is up 50 to 60 percent so one thing i wanted to mention we have a comprehensive and up to the minute streaming guide at clark.com it's on our top rail for our streaming tv guide because i want to make sure that you stretch every dollar with this but something else you should know the biggest uptake has been with free streaming services roku has seen massive demand increase for the Roku channel, which is an ad-supported content. I've been watching a lot of Pluto TV. I, the other day I was on Pluto, and my wife's like, what are you watching? I said, Pluto. She's like, what's that? Then there's Crackle, and there's any of a number of these free services. And then uh, there's also people testing out uh, freemium business models for streaming where you have a choice of watching one version of a particular streaming product that is ad supported and free or another that removes most if not all ads and you pay a monthly fee right now needing to stretch every dollar so many people seeing income decline look at the options available for you to stream for free and the ads are a nuisance but they pay for me not having to pay for the service you're listening to the clark howard show 
Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.